Welcome to another episode of Demolition Now, the official podcast of the National Demolition Association. I'm your host, Kevin McKenney, Director of Government Affairs for NDA. Our goal with this podcast is to provide you with a mixture of content and analysis of the issues impacting the demolition industry, along with engaging interviews of industry leaders, experts, and analysts that will provide unique perspectives on the industry today. There are a constant stream of external factors driving the industry, whether it be changing business conditions, a disruptive political environment, or rapidly changing demographics and consumer preferences. On this podcast, we'll examine those big issues driving in the industry, hopefully in an informative and engaging manner that will keep you coming back. If you have suggestions for topics for future episodes, please email them to me at kmckenney at demolitionassociation.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Demolition Now through iTunes or Stitcher, available in the Google Play Store. You can also listen to us online through the NDA website. On this episode, we'll speak with Spencer Cradian, State Policy and Government Affairs Manager at Citizens Against Government Waste, about the recent midterm elections and what Congress and the administration may have in store for 2019. We will also provide an update on the current legislative and regulatory issues affecting the industry. Later, we will have a conversation with Jeff Lambert, Executive Director of NDA, about the recent World Demolition Summit to get his perspective on the event and some of the key takeaways. So stay with us. With the smoke clearing from the recent midterm elections, Washington is mapping out what 2019 has in store. With the Democrats taking control of the House of Representatives and the Republicans keeping the Senate, many are expecting quite a bit of gridlock. Let's find out what the key takeaways are and what opportunities exist for construction and demolition in 2019. Joining us for this episode is Spencer Cradian, State Policy and Government Affairs Manager at Citizens Against Government Waste, a private nonpartisan nonprofit organization representing more than 1 million members and supporters worldwide. He is a native of Northern Virginia and a graduate of the College of William and Mary. Spencer, thanks very much for coming on our podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So let's jump into talk about Congress with those recent midterm elections. Uh, first in the House, you know, we know that the Democrats took control of that chamber. So what are your key takeaways and observations from uh, the midterms in the House? Any surprises? What are what are your takeaways there? Sure. Well, yes, Democrats gained uh, 40 seats. That's the most since 1974. They were widely expected to take the House. 40 was probably in the mid-upper level of uh, the range that people were expecting. And it's, it's a lot more now than it was on election night. It's a lot more than it looked like, because as the votes in California continued to be counted, the seats there all swung away from the Republicans um, so some of the early commentary, I think, sort of understated the extent of the Democratic gains. Uh, of the 40 seats they gained, 17 were in just four states, California, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York. So it wasn't an equal wave. It was concentrated in uh, some suburban districts uh, from different places around the country. I think a, a big surprise would be if Nancy Pelosi is unable to uh, become the speaker again. I think the smart money is that she uh, has the votes or will have the votes in January to the 218 that she needs. But a lot of the freshman Democrats and uh, some of the more conservative members of the caucus have been elected uh, while, while promising that they would not support her to be the speaker. So we'll see. I think the smart money, though, is on her being the, the next speaker of the House. 
Yeah, I did notice that. And I saw that there were a bunch of those, those Democrats in those races who were really campaigning, you know, with, with some vigor on saying, yeah, I'm not going to be supporting Nancy Pelosi for speaker. We need new blood. And so you're right. It will right. be, it will be interesting to see how that, how that shakes out. Mm-hmm. Um, so over to the Senate, you know, the Republicans actually picked up a few seats, which I think many were expecting, you know, that to happen. Any, any surprises in the Senate? What are your takeaways there? Uh, what do you think? Well, it was, certainly was a good map for Republicans, which is why uh, it wasn't that much of a surprise that Republicans picked up two seats. I think the the takeaway is, uh, you know, some of the Democratic incumbents who sit in states that Trump won uh, were able to hold on. But that was mostly because either Trump barely won the state in 2016, like Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, or uh, the Democratic incumbent had a very strong local brand, you know, Joe Manchin, John Tester, strongly rural states and uh, easy to to form personal relationships with voters there. So they were able to survive. But I think in in the larger states like Missouri and Indiana that were went solidly for Trump, uh, where those Democratic incumbents didn't have such a, a local reputation, they it was too much for them. This political polarization that that we that we're seeing just meant that they were going to they were going to go down to defeat if enough Republicans came out to the polls. And I think another interesting phenomenon that we may have seen this year is you know Republicans are perhaps losing ground in the Southwest, but but gaining it in the Midwest, something that sort of accelerated from 2016. And then I think if there was a surprise, I think the margin in Indiana and Missouri was bigger than a lot of people were expecting. I think Senator-elect Blackburn's margin in Tennessee was bigger than people were expecting. And then don't underestimate Rick Scott. He's now won three razor-thin elections in, in the biggest swing state in the country, Florida. So um, he, you know, that was people were not necessarily expecting him him to be able to defeat uh, Senator Nelson. Yeah. And boy, what an interesting (laughs) as as always. Right. With the the oddities of uh, Florida politics, really. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. shaking out. (laughs) Um, That's right. Yeah. That that was pretty that was pretty interesting to watch. So, you know, with that composition, then in the House and Senate with the Democrats and the Republicans, you know, controlling each chamber, you know, with that and, and speaking about policy, what can we expect to see next year for policy? You know, with the Senate and the White House controlled by the Republicans, you know, a big question that I have is, is what types of things are the Democrats going to be looking to do? They'll probably launch a whole bunch of investigations on, you know, a whole bunch of things. But on a, from a policy perspective, you know, will there will they be interested in doing much or what, what types of things could we see? Well, I think the first thing is that um, some of the the newer ideas on the left wing of the Democratic Party, you know, repealing the 2017 tax cuts, having Medicare for all, abolishing ICE, things like that probably are not going to gain much traction because they're simply just impossible to get through uh, a Republican Senate and White House. I think the one area for actual policy development may be things that relate to infrastructure. You know, divided government tends to bring more compromises on topics like that. And President Trump has said it's a topic that he's interested in. I think that the the precise form that any infrastructure package would, would take is, is very much up in the air. Um, but I know that there has been a lot of emphasis on that and a lot of interest also at the state and local level 
on uh, working with the federal government to achieve a, an infrastructure package. Yeah, and that's an interesting piece of policy there for in terms of infrastructure, because it seems like for a number of years, the Democrats were talking uh, very vocally about doing an infrastructure package, particularly when the Republicans had retaken the House years ago. They were mm -hmm. constantly saying, we do do infrastructure, we do do infrastructure. And now they control the House. And the president has indicated that he'd be supportive of an infrastructure package. I remember last year, the White House released kind of a blueprint you know, kind of a policy document outlining what their priorities would be on an infrastructure package. So, uh, yeah, I'm curious to see whether or not the House is going to, you know, act on that, considering their rhetoric for a number of years saying this is something that we want to do. And then, you know, but I mean, part of it is I'm sure the president's going to tote it as a big victory. And who knows if they want to <laughs> give him the win on on that. Sure. Right. So that'll be interesting to see. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, infrastructure means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So it depends, uh, you know, what, what, which direction they want to go, uh, if yeah. we're going to, if we're going to ultimately see a package. Yeah, that makes sense. So kind of switching gears then for a second, you know, how about on the state side of those, uh, of those midterm elections, any key takeaways from those state, you know, those, uh, state level elections, governors and legislatures, any, any observations, takeaways, that kind of thing? Yeah, so Republicans started this uh, cycle with 33 governorships. Uh, that was kind of a high water mark, and the Democrats had 16. That margin is now 27 to 23. I think you know the, the biggest and most impactful Democratic gains in governorships, in terms of where the national media coverage has been, were on those in the Midwest. They defeated uh, Governor Walker in Wisconsin, Governor Rauner in Illinois flipped the open seat in Kansas and also the open seat in Michigan. But in terms of the, and then I think the Republican, you know, the, the headlines on their side were the, the surprising wins in Florida, where Ron DeSantis had been behind, and Ohio, where Mike DeWine had been behind, and then also in Georgia, which, which dragged on for a couple of weeks. But those three were the big, holding those three governorships were, I think, very important to Republicans when it comes to redistricting and things like that. But I think the, uh, the, the real movement was in uh, state legislatures. There are now a higher number of states that have Democratic trifectas, which mean that the Democrats control the governorship in both houses of the legislature, Colorado, Illinois, Maine, Nevada, New Mexico, New York. So in those places, Democrats pretty much have the ability to pass things on their own uh, and, and implement their vision for the state. So that is uh, that's something to to take note of in, in 2019. And then also a few states had Republican trifectas that were broken by uh, by Democratic victories in one of the uh, one of the races. Wow, that's uh, that's interesting. Would you say that a lot of that? I mean, I think a lot of people have been been indicating that a lot of the momentum from the Democratic side was largely driven by the president and whatnot. I mean, I'm sure in, in your opinion, you'd say that some of those Democratic gains on the state level were, you know, kind of they were able to ride down the ballot when they were pulling the D lever, you know, for those different reasons, mainly focused on the federal races. But I'm sure that had that down ballot effect of, you know, pushing in some more D's on the state level. That's right. And, you know, in, in 2010, that was sort of the all-time record for state legislative chambers and seats, when the Republicans picked up about 900. And then in 2014, 
it was about 300, a gain of 300 for the Republicans. And this year it was a gain of between three and 400 for the Democrats. So we're more or less back at the state legislative level to where we were in you know, before the 2014 election. And there are still 62 chambers controlled by Republicans and 37 controlled by Democrats. And significantly more Americans live in a state with a Republican trifecta than with a Democratic trifecta, but it, the gap is narrower than it uh, than it was going into this cycle. Um, and, you know, in terms of the, the politics of it, I think a lot of people, you know, there's always um, a tendency to vote against the party in power at a midterm election. But I do think that you know, local issues really matter. The governor's races mattered to down-ballot candidates and um, you know, the, the the issues are not always issues that are taking place in Washington, D.C., but but issues that are are coming across uh, the state capitals. I think teacher pay was a was an issue that Republicans struggled with. I think, you know, Democrats in many states had to had to run uh, in, a, in a good economy that that people attribute not just to the president, but also to their their governors and legislators. Interesting. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's some great, great insight. So I guess really to wrap it up then, another question I, I like to ask is what for the demolition industry, you know, what we can do in, in 2019 and, and beyond to advance our causes and, and impact policy, we're going to be implementing uh, our annual fly-in this coming year. So that's, I think, going to be a great benefit in terms of pushing our our issues forward and continuing to expand our reach and coalitions and doing a lot more with regulators as well and, and growing relationships there. So those are some things we are, we're looking at, but in your opinion, you know, what do you think for, you know, in terms of making somebody listening to this podcast, somebody working in the demolition industry, making their issues heard, advancing policies that are going to benefit them and their workers, their businesses, you know, what can they do? Well, I think the main thing is uh, keep the focus on your top priorities. There's going to be a lot in Washington, I think, in 2019 and 2020 that has to do with the politics of D.C. The presidential primary is going get to get a lot of attention. But I think in terms of what the construction and demolition folks can do, um, keep the focus on you know, the, the top three or four issues that are important to you. Further tax relief, making the, the tax cuts permanent making it easier to start a business and to compete in in a competitive industry, and then also making sure that we have an economy that keeps producing jobs, producing people moving, people building houses, economic development, and um, people competing against each other, looking around for the best deal. That is good for, for industries like the demolition industry. And, and also, you know, keep the focus on whatever, what's going to be the next Amazon uh, headquarters? What's going to be the next thing that states are competing for? Because that matters immensely for jobs and construction and uh, demolition in, in different places. Sure. That actually, that, that makes a lot of sense. Definitely. Well, uh, Spencer, that wraps up my questions that uh, I had for you. I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on the podcast and um, hope to talk to you soon. No problem. Thanks for having me, Kevin, and uh, appreciate it. As we have reported, OSHA has been taking steps to address the demolition industry's concerns with a final rule on crystalline silica in construction. 
NDA has been working behind the scenes with OSHA and a coalition of industry groups to rectify a series of compliance burdens. OSHA recently announced that they would be publishing a formal request for information about the silica rule. This will provide a public and open platform for NDA to raise the issues and identify solutions. We expect that process to open in just a few weeks, at which time our Government Affairs Committee will work on finalization. Stay tuned for more updates on silica shortly. Recently, NDA has renewed its efforts to build solid and enduring relationships with OSHA. As many are aware, NDA had a formal alliance with OSHA in the mid-2000s. However, that lapsed after a couple of years. Our government affairs team has been communicating with OSHA on renewing our formal alliance, in addition to identifying other areas of cooperation. As the voice of the demolition industry, a strengthened relationship with OSHA will bring tremendous benefits. We expect to have this process finalized shortly. OSHA has recently published a final rule that clarifies certification requirements for crane operators and maintains the employer's duty to ensure that crane operators can safely operate the equipment. OSHA says that this final rule will maintain safety and health protections for workers while reducing compliance burdens. Under the final rule, employers are required to train operators as needed to perform assigned crane activities, evaluate them, and document successful completion of the evaluations. Employers who have evaluated operators prior to December 9th of 2018 will not have to conduct these evaluations again, but will have to document when those evaluations were completed. The rule also requires crane operators to be certified or licensed and receive ongoing training as necessary to operate new equipment. Operators can be certified based on the crane's type and capacity or type only, which ensures that more accredited testing organizations are eligible to meet OSHA certification program requirements. The final rule revises a 2010 requirement that crane operator certification must specify the rated lifting capacity of cranes for which the operator is certified. Compliant certifications that were already issued by type and capacity are still acceptable under this final rule. The final rule, with the exception of the evaluation and documentation requirements, will become effective on December 9th, 2018. The evaluation and documentation requirements will become effective on February 7th of 2019. A White House Council focused on government-wide procurement policy and regulatory activities called the Federal Acquisition Regulatory Council has recently indicated that they may soon release rules impacting contractors. In particular, they have mentioned the following. A credit for lower tier small business subcontracting will allow large businesses to receive small business subcontracting credit for subcontracts that their subcontractors award to small businesses. And effective communication between government and industry which will encourage agency acquisition personnel to talk to the regulated industry. NDA posts important updates to the website at demolitionassociation.com and includes them in the weekly newsletter. If you have questions about an issue or NDA policy, please feel free to contact me at kmckenney at demolitionassociation.com. Join the National Demolition Association for the latest news information necessary to be leaders in environmental stewardship, safety, education, professional competency, and government advocacy. Grow your business and educate your employees with access to NDA training, publication, and online resources. Improve your safety practices with our cutting edge safety program featuring best practices, tools, and online training. NDA offers members world-class training opportunities for foremen, field superintendents, project managers, and anyone interested in advancing their career 
in the demolition industry. Get serious discounts on expenses, services you use every day, including discounts on human resources management and strategic workforce planning. Support the industry and influence regulations through a comprehensive public relations program designed to educate government officials and general public on the demolition industry and participate in exclusive networking opportunities and exchange best practices at NDA events. To learn more on how membership can help you win work and improve your bottom line, visit demolitionassociation.com or email at info at demolitionassociation.com. Here to discuss the recent World Demolition Summit is Jeff Lambert, Executive Director for NDA. Jeff, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So as I mentioned, the recent World Demolition Summit took place in uh, Dublin. Wanted to ask you, first off, uh, how was it? It was great. There were over 500 companies in attendance, over 70 NDA members flew across the pond to attend the meeting in Dublin. The education sessions were jam-packed with information, a lot of really good information on current technology uh, and uses, and um, some very good information on safety, particularly on beryllium. I'd like to congratulate the Adamo Group, Ferma Corporation, Jet Demolition, LeBounty, and SafeDem for their award-winning entries. Uh, we had many NDA members shortlisted as well. It was a great evening. We look forward to it to the World Demolition Summit here in America in in 2019, in October. Date and location to be determined, so stay tuned. That sounds great. Sounds like that'll be a, a great event uh, as well. So what definitely stands out for me is the global nature of the World Demolition Summit. So, you know, providing the ability to interact with different industry professionals, from around the world. So what was it like to interact with an international group of folks, you know, who are who are involved in demolition? So, you know, the first thing about Europe, their built environment is um, centuries older than the United States. So some of their practices uh, that they've been using, utilizing now, you know, we're just now starting to adopt here in the United States. So you know, for instance, um, deconstruction, the practice of deconstruction as opposed to demolition. They've been utilizing that now for over the past decade, and we're just now starting to adopt some of those practices. So it was great to interact and talk with companies in Italy, France, uh, Sweden. Uh, there were a couple of companies there from India, Australia, New Zealand, uh, just to talk to them about some of their practices and the equipment that they're using. It was very interesting to have a few, a uh, couple of conversations regarding robotics and safety. These are all things that NDA will be focused on at Demolition Rockies and our conference March 22nd through the 25th. So we're going to have many of these same conversations, but it was very interesting to be around some of these contractors who, again, have been deploying some of these um, technologies now for over the last decade. So yeah, it, it was wonderful. I mean, I had a very good conversations with, um, with exhibitors as well and some of the companies there from Japan and some of the technologies that they're introducing or have introduced in the European market and are bringing to the United States. Fantastic. That sounds great. We, on our last episode, we spoke with uh, Walt Reeves and we discussed a little bit about the demolition summit in advance. And he really emphasized safety as being one of the big priorities that seems to be, you know, a recurring theme and something that's focused on. So I was going to ask you about what were some of the noteworthy 
sessions or focus areas mm -hmm. at the conference, things that really stood out for you and co content wise? Sure. Well, I guess first I want to point out uh, Dennis McGarrell, who's an NDA board member, vice president for sales and estimating at Brandenburg, did a, a presentation on demolishing the former Bannister Federal Complex. Uh, so he basically walked attendees through um, the challenges they faced, you know, and, and with easing uh, the health and safety concerns of the city and the state leaders, you know, particularly around beryllium and asbestos and lead contamination. So very thought provoking uh, session. Dennis is an excellent speaker. A couple other sessions that stood out for me. One was the role of drone mapping software and demolition. So for me, this was uh, particularly interesting to see. They basically ran through an entire project, you know, at high speed. So uh, for a demolition contractor, utilizing this technology as more general contractors adopt this. It means they'll be able to go back and see, oh, there's actually rebar in that area. They, they placed an I-beam here or, uh, you know, and that's not necessarily in the plans. And so that's, you know, that's documented history that our folks can use to better plan their day-to-day -day safety talks, better plan the demolition process. So I'm looking forward to bringing some of these sessions again to NDA and Demolition Rockies. Uh, where we'll be discussing some of these same uh, concepts. And uh, there's one more that stood out as well, and that is um, technology and robotics. Um, and that is something many of our members um, have been using robotics, but this was sort of uh, soup to nuts on uh, robotics and hydro demolition. So it was very fascinating. Very cool. Uh, and then th this might be a good segue then to my next question, which is regarding maybe some of the future developments, innovations, or even concerns with the demolition industry, national, international, or even, you know, you have a background a little bit of in, in construction. And so anything generally construction related, anything regarding the future and, and where that industry is going, you know, both at maybe the summit and then in addition in terms of uh, actually practicing the uh, practicing demolition. Yeah. So, I mean, the safety concerns are paramount, um, you know, and I think that's that's regardless of where you're located. So it was interesting talking to some of the contractors over there, particularly about their safety concerns. Turns out that many of them have the same concerns in terms of opioid abuse, um, drug and alcohol abuse uh, in terms of the workforce. You know, and I, I talked about NDA's recent efforts in joining the uh, Construction Coalition for a Drug and Alcohol-Free Workplace. They were very interested in that, um, learning more about that. As you know, in the United States, we're we're in the midst of an opioid crisis, and one of the things that we're providing our members are the resources and tools to be able to educate their employees and adopt policies in their companies to help their employees and to educate their managers on the problem and on safety and safe practices while on the job site. So that that you know that is regardless of location, that was a concern. The other concern that many of them had was workforce, workforce development, training, and education. They have a worker shortage there as well. We do here in the United States. So it was interesting to talk to some of them about what they're doing in terms of training and education. The uh, European uh, Demolition Association does have their their country chapters. They um, the English um, and the French uh, chapters, they, they conduct training. Um, I talked about our foundations of demolition training with many of the members over there. They were very interested and intrigued and indeed, um, you know, asked questions how they could get similar training. 
So, you know, we had talked briefly about possibly offering the training when they have the World Demolition Summit here in 2019 um, as a way for some of those companies to participate and sign up for the for our education classes. The other thing um, that um, I was quite proud of is our safety app. They were fascinated by the app. They loved the concept of the app. They were wondering how to get the app. Um, it was very easy. I told them they have to uh, sign up, become an international member of the National Demolition Association to take advantage of that. So many similarities, but you know, the, the, the biggest difference, and I mentioned this earlier, was greater emphasis on deconstruction and selective dismantlement. So and many of those companies over there um, will take whole HVAC units um, and ship them uh, you know, to different parts of Europe or some in some cases down to South America when deconstructing a building. Um, so very focused on recycling the built environments over there. You know, I, um, you know, touted the fact that our members recycle between 70 and 90 percent of the building materials that they use. Um, and they were um, very interested to learn some of our members, you know, not only dismantle or deconstruct, but recycle as well. So they'll own some of the downs, uh, downstream industries, so the recycling plants, et cetera. So, you know, European demolition companies, it seemed to me at the conference, very corporate you know, and then our members too, we had some of our larger corporate members there. But, you know, we also here in the United States, we have family run businesses. We're very proud of that, you know, fact. And um, many, many of our members um, just remarked, you know, how there could be more information sharing between European Demolition Association and the United States and how we should figure out a way to, you know, bring more international members into NDA. And indeed, you know, we do have quite a few international members but we had a couple of members sign up um, there so that was uh, that was great we had a booth there but uh, great conference and you know, I do want to thank Volvo construction equipment for um, for sponsoring along with uh, Steve Drucker and um, all the folks at KHL it was a, it was a fantastic event that's great and you did uh, answer a couple points about my, my next question but uh, just to kind of wrap that that one up here uh, in this last one, which is what opportunities uh, with, it could be the summit, but also uh, other areas exist for, you know, our demolition industry to partner with and learn from, you know, those international practitioners, vice versa. I think you mentioned a lot of that already. Just if you have any final thoughts on generally, you know, continuing to build relationships internationally and uh, looking at those opportunities where we're all gonna learn from each other and, and work collaboratively. Any th parting thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, so there were, uh, I think I mentioned at the beginning of, of the um, our session that Adamo Group and Fairmont Corporation, um, they they both won awards over there for some of the innovative practices that they're, they're doing. You know, in particular, Fairmont Corporation, um, they won an award for innovation plant and equipments. You know, basically they were contracted to remove existing drawbridge and supporting structure to enable the completion of a half-built new bridge directly adjacent to another bridge in, in uh, Long Beach, California. But what they ended up doing, and and the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this, this, this up is because I think it's, it's an example of NDA member innovation. So, you know, they uh, their project included four primary bridge piers 
two of which were, were within the active water channel and extended uh, with their concrete footings to a depth of uh, 63 feet below sea level. And uh, Caltrans, the California Department of Transportation, required the piers to be removed without the traditional use of coffer dams. So FIRMA built uh, a machine to tackle the job. It started from scratch and took several machines and their components and re-engineered them into a new, larger, more stable machine. They spent a year engineering, modeling, and simulation to come up with a safe machine that could do the job. So basically, you know, it has all new first ever real-time live video two three-dimensional sonar imaging systems uh, for blind operation and every function of the machine was engineered to be wirelessly remote and i bring this up because it's an example of innovation for nda members american innovation if you will um so the european um and the international crowd there was very interested in this particular innovation but it's things like this the um, cross-pollination that occurs at these meetings um and so there are many international folks that are going to be attending our conference, um, Demolition Rockies, in March. And they're going to be there to learn from folks like Firma Corporation. And, you know, conversely, we had members going over there and learning about deconstruction and their, um, some of their technologies that they're employing. But I think going forward, you will see more and more emphasis on um, safety and robotics. And these are things that we can work with the European Demolition Association and international members to spread that knowledge to NDA members and, you know, vice versa. They were um, interested in our app and some of the technologies that we're using. So, you know, there's a lot of room for cross-pollination there. So in it being in the United States next year, there's going to be some pretty good sessions there. And uh, I'm really excited about attending. And I know that many NDA members will be attending as well. That sounds great. Yeah, it looks like there's a lot of opportunity there uh, moving forward. So we'll have to definitely keep an eye on that. And we'll we'll definitely talk with you soon. How much Guinness did you drink over there, by the way? Oh, oh Jace. Well, you know, it was uh, it was a fun, uh, fun couple of days. And uh, that's all you could get. And uh, I love Guinness, so I didn't mind that. So Absolutely. Sounds great. Well, Jeff, thanks very much for joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks very much to our listeners. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Demolition Now through iTunes or Stitcher, available in the Google Play Store. You can also listen to us online through the NDA website. Goodbye for now until the next episode of Demolition Now.